I'm Jim Wills, and this is the Art Unknown Podcast, where we feed your soul with art. I hope you want me just as bad as I want you. Make art more than you're thinking about art, and the rest will figure itself out. Art is how we respond to our environment. It's a way to process external events. Oneness, I think, is the only way that all humans on planet Earth will be able to sustain and and progress and move forward in our evolution. Get out there, look at art, expose yourself to as much art. Your soul needs it, society needs it. Art feeds the human soul. It makes the world a better place. This week on the podcast, I'm very excited to talk to this musician, singer-songwriter who has a great resume and is my very first non-binary person that I'm talking to. Uh, Their name is Mona. Mona Licious is the name you go by, and I'm so excited to talk to you about that. But also, just to give you guys a little bit of background on Mona, they've been part of many different bands, Twin Flame Medicine, Flowers of Mass Production, a couple of their bands. Now all of their music is made under the name Monalicious. But how I came across this person was that they're going to be at TEDx this fall. And so I'm excited to talk about the TEDx and how that came about. Uh, Mona, welcome to the podcast. Hey, so happy to be here. Thank you for Mm -hmm. having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk about your music. I'm excited to talk about your life and your story. But before we begin, I would love to hear an inspiration. I always start off asking the artist that I talk to about something that inspires them. And it can be anything. It can be a quote. It can be a piece of music, movie, person, just something that, that you kind of carry with you that inspires you throughout your day. What do you yeah. got? Well, in general, as an artist or as someone who creates in the world, I'm constantly assimilating and disseminating inspiration and like taking things in and it could be the smallest thing on a walk or it could be, you know, going to a big event. But right now, something that is super inspiring me is dance. I've most recently gotten into a dance style called Brazilian Zouk. Um, And I am just like so inspired by not only dancing it, but also watching people. Um, It's just like such a... Uh, inspiration to me to watch two people sync up and to like play you know as they both are interpreting music and yeah it's just a huge huge inspiration in my life right now brazilian zook yeah is that uh i'm not familiar with it i've never heard of that so brazilian zuka i have to look it up later but is it anything like is it uh what's the word i'm looking interpretive or sort of freestyle dance So it is a partner dance. And so similar to salsa, but less like fire and like high energy, Uh, although it can be very high energy. But in the section, I would say it's like more yummy and gooey and (laughs) like people doing body rolls together and like, but it is very much like a formal dance. Uh, Similar dances are like bachata Kizomba, Lambada, which you again may not have heard of, but uh, I know Lambada. I yeah, know Lombada so similar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. How did you get? How did you get uh, turned on to that? My partner, their name is Dia. She is super. She's a phenomenal dancer, and uh, yeah, I she opened the doors, and it's been. A really, really lovely journey ever since. And oh, I, cool. I've gotten into it like five months ago. Okay. It's always yeah. cool to hear. I mean, you talked to, you said, you mentioned a little bit about outside on a walk or what have you. And I get a lot of artists talk about inspiration from nature and just from their daily activities. But I always love to hear when an artist is inspired by other art, which is this case perfectly. Like you've been inspired by dance, yet your primary art craft or your art form is music. So, incorporating that into your your art form I think is really cool definitely Uh, and I don't know if you saw one of my music videos it I do feature a lot of dancers in my in my uh, my music videos and what I film and 
I, I also recently like posted an Instagram post about my process with dance, which is the first time I really revealed to the world that like I'm pursuing this. And, oh, cool. and cool. I spoke to like, I've, I've fallen in love, like the type of love that you're obsessed with, that you spend all kinds of money on, that you like <laughs> travel for, that you grow with. And, and it's, it's very much been like taking my life by storm. It's as a musician, it's been a process, a process of allowing it to, but yeah, that's what I'm really inspired by these days. That's, that's awesome. Yes, I, I watched your uh, All Caught Up video, Black and White with the dancers. Yeah. And yeah. That is my friend Eastar and okay. Corwin. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And are they doing that style of dance or? Uh, no, they are doing more of like interpretive contact, contemporary, just like people playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into your story a little bit. Let's. I want to. I want to hear about how you became an artist. How you, this journey that you that you're on with art, and why don't you just take it from wherever you wherever you want to start? Yeah. Well, I feel I've been so encouraged to express myself and be creative uh, from my parents and my mom and my grandpa. Definitely, were just down for me being a musical human me being creative and we're really encouraging and so when I think about my first like days of being me and as a you know as an artist I think about like being in the kitchen with my mom and just like freestyling all these like singing all, all these songs and like singing and I think about brainstorming with my grandpa about all these uh, different ideas I had for art and I would say that it starts very much there for me um, were you were the, your was your mom a musician or your your grandfather a musician or my grandfather enjoyed he was a drummer in high school I think okay. and then it fell off but we had like this old guitar in the house and for him, us getting an, a guitar for me and, and instruments for me was an excuse for him to dive back in. So he actually ah, cool. got back into it when I started getting into it. And that ended up being really sweet. You know, we had when did you, different... when did you start taking up guitar? I started when I was eight, my mom got me a guitar. And then when I was about 11, I got deeper into like bass and guitar and, and that's when I started getting a few more instruments. Did you play in school? Like, did you play guitar in school or other instruments? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit in middle school, we had like some band classes, mm -hmm. um, but it was primarily, I would say probably one of the first times of really dropping in to myself as a human where I would like dropping into my emotions. I would just like be in my grandparents' basement, just like learning the basic chords, G, D, C, and like playing and kind of wailing in the basement and just like <laughs> pouring out my heart. And yeah. I, um, I just remember coming up from the basement one time and after like probably just expressing myself for like hours and I come upstairs and my grandparents are like you making music down there I'm like yeah <laughs> yeah I am making music <laughs> that's that's awesome so yeah. what kind of music are you influenced by like what especially at, the, at a younger age what what kind of music did you listen to that you, yeah. that you played along with at a younger age well I think the the playing of music i i'm having this memory of uh really getting into the beatles in middle school and playing their albums and i would just like kind of play their music and i learned all the lyrics and then my mom we had this roommate lois and i was like yeah you want to watch me like lip sync over this song and and they were like why don't you actually just sing it i was like wait what i what i Okay, um, so the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Billie Holiday, all of those artists I really enjoyed. A lot of classic rock, 
and then when I started making a lot of music, I was really influenced by Tegan and Sarah and yeah, in general, just like a lot of the acoustic indie music that was coming out in the 2000s. Acoustic indie music. Can you give me an example? Are you talking about like? Like Never Shout Never uh, okay. is, is a band that comes to mind. Maybe like some acoustic Paramore. Um, yeah. Yeah, some of that. And to be honest, I around middle school, I also found... I, I was also just exploring a lot of genres and going and, you know, discovering a lot more about hip hop and discovering a lot more about electronic music. But mm-hmm. it generally, I would say that I started taking music really seriously and, and claiming my space as someone who is a musician and knows musical things at around like 13 and like was starting to ask for gear and uh, starting to venture a little bit more into live sound and recording things. And I think I technically released my first CD when I was 14 and I recorded it myself and like burn CDs and the whole process of like <laughs> branding was just exciting. It all made sense to me. Um, yeah. And then like really kept establishing that through high school, 16 got into my first band and continued doing all the fun band things of like band photos and battle of the bands and really just prepping myself and when I was 17 I started free music for free people and I just I had planned a tour for myself that summer the summer that I was 17 and just the whole process of contacting venues and bringing people out it was amazing and I was enjoying it and then I felt what if this is more community oriented like I could probably do more and for me that was the desire was to be able to do more with all the excitement that I had Mm. and I was feeling kind of like an emptiness around it just being about my music and shifted started partnering with Gypsy House Cafe and with the Denver Art Society and was throwing like six events a month Uh, we had a weekly like musicians night poets night yoga night um potluck night we did a hip-hop showcase with a cypher and we did like a just a kind of open uh showcase with more like acoustic and rock music and people because it was community oriented and it was so like I had put out the call and it was so inclusive and so many bands came out of that because I was just like, I have this stage, come and play. And was <laughs> just so adamant about like it being our thing. Yeah. Um, and I was filming people and it was just like this, there was no one telling me no there. And I just kept working. I worked at Elitch's and so I'd work and buy an equipment and also, and then I like uh, rented out this woman's basement when I was 18 and like filled it up with a bunch of studio equipment and just like recorded people and there was no one telling me no right right. that really just set me up to cultivate and cultivate and all of the sudden people in the community like the greater music community uh the bigger music community here in Denver started to know me started coming to my events started working with me and I really started establishing a reputation and I think I sought to understand how to be a good leader for a community and always reminded myself of how how important it was to have my building be focused on the community and with that I think that that became this personal check this personal accountability so that 
my own ego wouldn't get in the way of what we were all building, um, even though, you know, I was directing and I was uh, delegating and organizing and designing. It seemed like people stuck around because it was, they felt that it was built for them. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's like, uh, you sound, it sounded like a little bit like, um, Meow Wolf for musicians. <laughs> a little <laughs> if bit. If you, if you know the history of Meow Wolf, like, the, you know, it was an artist community for mostly visual art. And, and you kind of, it sounds like you built a little community for, for musical artists. And you mentioned yeah. it, and I didn't, I didn't mention it at, in the introduction, but you mentioned it and I want to talk a little, a little bit more about it. What did you call it? You called it free music for free people. FM for FP. Would you talk about that a little more? You said you started that when you were 17? Yeah, definitely. Wow. Is is the word that I would say today. Okay. And back then, I don't know. I, I just had a fire, I guess, of just like, this is what I want and I'm going to go for it. And I still draw upon that fire to this day. And I'm so grateful that no one really stopped me from just like going with this intuitive inner power around feeling conviction in my like envisioning of things. But yeah, I started that. And then we did like all those community events. We went on one of the venues closed that we were doing a lot of stuff in. And we went on a small hiatus just because I wasn't trying to do things just for the sake of doing them. I felt like we were really like supporting a community that needed support. And then when we lost the gypsy house for a few years, there was a little bit of uncertainty about what we were gonna do. We tried out a few things, but they felt like a little bit of a stretch. And so instead we just moved into more film for a little while. And then in 2018, I went to Meow Wolf and I was just, so blown away ridiculously (laughs) inspired and I went home and was like determined to do a lot of things but rebuild the team and in that year we did actually this is 2019 and in that year we threw two immersive theater shows with like circus and music and stories. Uh, We started up Free People TV as its own branch of our work and started working on season one, which was released last year. We started Free People Records and our first compilation was included with a pack of cards um, where you would get Uh, you would get a pack and each card had an illustrated card for each artist and then we we started offering more publishing uh, services as well and it was just like a big 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 year Um, yeah sounds like very much inspired and like I was re-lit up by witnessing <laughs> Meow Wolf for sure. <laughs> That's cool. And so some, something else you mentioned, which I loved, and I, I imagine that we actually probably crossed paths because uh, Gypsy House Cafe, I actually lived yeah. on 13th and Ogden and Gypsy House was on 13th and what was Marion. it, Marion. So, yeah. so it was like three blocks away. I used to go there all the time. Great coffee, great tea, great cafe, great events they always did there. Like Gypsy House to me, and so Gypsy House for people listening is was a cafe in downtown Denver that was like Boulder, Colorado in downtown Denver. <laughs> Lights on the ceiling, they had plants everywhere. Yeah, such a great, such a great place. Um, they had great food. So hats off to hats off to Gypsy House. I didn't know you did all those events there. So I imagine I probably had been to an event or two there that that you had been involved in and didn't even know at the time. The other thing, Meow Wolf, like I went. I, my wife and I went to Meow Wolf and I, I think it was in 2019 as well. Maybe it was in 2018, but that was my first trip down there. Same as you, I was blown away, super inspired. Like just the, it's like creative juices on overload, which is, yeah. I guess maybe a good way to describe it. 
so you knew at an early age that you were going that you wanted to be not only involved in music but like have like music was a part of your life both as a performer but also as someone who also supports other performers and other people in the industry it sounds like yeah very much so um it's easy uh, i have done a lot of work in my own processing of roles in communities. I've also mm-hmm. facilitated workshops about finding your role in a community. And I okay. think that, and I've also talked in different interviews about this, but I think the fact that I was able to acknowledge my skill set and acknowledge, like, oh, I'm a leader. Well, it allowed me to really blossom within that. However, you know, I'm not always leading every single thing that I do. Sure. Um, I think that that's also another part of things that a part of the process of knowing your role is like knowing when and where you have one role and when and where you have another role and the importance to not let, if I'm a leader here for that to kind of make it difficult for me to be supportive in other places yeah and which is kind of what being at youth on record has been it has been this space where I have been called upon in leadership and in as this you know a supportive uh, element to the bigger goal and and ultimately my work in the community with Free Music for Free People primed me for working at Youth on Record. And I literally walked in the building and they were like, oh yeah, do you want to work here? You exist. <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think, I'm sure. And it's been such a lovely, wonderful journey working there. So meaningful, it's like so much personal development, so much development of my understanding around race, class, gender, and just such a meaningful, purposeful job to have walked into. Well, well, let's talk about Youth on Record a little more. Tell us a little bit about it and what your role is in it, Get help people get a better understanding. Yeah. So Youth on Record was founded by the Flowbots they were going into, it used to be flowbots.org, and they were going into high schools and providing music classes that were oriented towards empowering young people. Mm -hmm. Um, The way that I see it is like, you could look on the surface and we provide music education um, or poetry education, but it's deeper than that. Music and poetry are the channels in which our students begin to claim their empowerment. And that is the deeper work that we do is offering them an opportunity uh, to know more about the world, know more about themselves and each other. And, And then we use music as this tool to then dive deeper because you could have music education and people could walk away with music or you could have music education where people walk away with more tools to then go make a change in their life. Mm. And so that is what we do and what we aim to do. I run our girl, the girls music program called Femme Powered, which is also non-binary and trans inclusive. Um, We also have, open lab which is what it what it sounds like it's just open time we have a youth recording facility down in downtown denver near the santa fe arts district but it's a near the 10th and osage light rail station so just a little few blocks uh, west of the santa fe arts district and yeah we have open lab we have a new podcast department uh where you know students are developing their podcasting skills and we also do in-school programming so I teach at a high school five days a week I teach music creation and then we have this ethnic studies gender studies focused class called identity power in music and that's just 
one of my favorite classes to teach because we get to dive into the realness of the world, the realness of our lives. And it's probably one of the most empowering classes available for Denver youth, in my opinion. In what, in what way? The fact that we focus on a few things. In general, we focus on trauma-informed and engaged uh, pedagogy. With that, uh, we have done a lot of development around deconstructing the banking concept of teaching, which is okay. that, the, yeah, have you heard of this? <laughs> no, it <laughs> sounds deep though. Yeah, so the the banking concept is that a teacher has all the knowledge and then deposits it into the students and they then are, their job is to then regurgitate the the deposit and that proves that they are a good student and that they can go on and on to the next grade. Um, What that does is that instills an inherent power dynamic in a classroom teachers on the top students are on the bottom and with a student teacher teacher student uh, classroom environment it is practice that you walk into the classroom and it's not that the teacher is the expert but that each person is coming in with expertise that they've developed just by being alive and experiencing Mm. their own life and so a teacher will come in and provide maybe a text. Um, a text might look like, or an object or reflection or text might be a video, might be uh, an article. And each person will take that in. And then there, it's very uh, dialogue oriented. And then we will discuss what comes up for us. What questions do we have? And we together will cultivate a deeper understanding of a topic with reference from other people's inputs, uh, each person's input. And it's kind of like the idea that if everyone's standing in a room, I'm looking north, you're looking south, someone's looking east, someone is looking west, that if we open up our eyes and we say, what does this room look like? I say, well, uh, on the south side, this is what it looks like. That is true. But what I want is to know what the entire room looks like. And I can only do that If I allow myself and the other people, uh, we all like accumulate our understanding by saying what we're seeing over in in front of us. And that's the idea is that Mm. I will only have a certain like section of understanding if I'm closed off and like in only what I see but once I open up to seeing what everyone else to hearing what everyone else is seeing then I'm going to see the full picture yeah so that's that's what we believe with as far as like teaching goes and what we strive for because our students they have a deep understanding you know yeah for sure for sure perhaps it's not like developed uh you know in academically and they haven't gone to college or anything because they're in high school they still have a deep understanding that's valuable and so that's kind of how we uh, frame our classroom settings and that's why I think that it's incredibly uh, empowering because not often are students given so much voice in a classroom yeah that's brilliant and I think that's that's a new way of I don't know if it's new but it's a it's a much different way of education than than I had gone through for sure and I think it, it creates a lot more, I don't know if validity is the right word, but like you, I think you said, it is value on what the students bring. And sometimes the students are the teachers, you know, teachers are the students, students are the teachers. That's really powerful. And that's, that's so cool that you're involved in that and you're part of that. And just, I want to just throw a little hats off there to the flow bots. You mentioned those just in passing. So anybody who's listening to this, who doesn't know the flow bots should check out the flow bots. Jamie Laurie and Johnny five is awesome. He's done so much for, Colorado and Denver community music community. I didn't know I didn't know that the youth project was part of part of the Flowbots mission and uh, came out of them. So that's great. I, I also love Jamie's brother Paul, who's very creative and does a lot of great in the community. So just throw that out there as a side note. You talked 
earlier, you mentioned earlier about gender roles. And in the introduction, I had mentioned that you use the pronouns they and them. Yeah, you're actually the first person I've ever met who prefers to go by those pronouns. And I find, I have to be honest with you, I find it so crazy because those are, those are plural pronouns. And so, but you're not a plural person, you're a singular person. And so we have, because we in English language have no pronoun for a singular person other than a gender, you know, bias pronoun, he, she, it makes sense that this was something that was adapted of, okay, well, I don't want to be identified necessarily as he or she, how do I become identified? And so it has grown up in, you know, in the modern lexicon of, oh, we're going to use they or them. Would you talk a little bit about that? How did, how did you come to this point and how, like what, what drove you to, to this position, if you will? Yes. Something that you just said really sent me on a thought process. You were saying plural is for, or uh, they is for a plural person and you're not a plural person, but I am. Is that I find in my androgynous essence that I I embody more than just she. So I never really thought about it that way. And I'm so happy that you said that because it <laughs> it lands for me so much. And you know, I think they them being so popularized for the non-binary community is a bit controversial because of the language, you know, the English language and how they has been used. And it all very much confuses people for sure. And I, yeah. I think it would have been better. It's hard to determine, but it would have I guess, avoided a lot of confusion if there was another pronoun created. But I feel like there would also still be confusion with that because not everyone would know it. And right. and I think the beautiful thing about they is it it fits so well in our language that I could say they and someone might think about something or like have a, a small bit of confusion. But generally, it's already like so embedded in our language where people are like what is that word that you just said I don't know if I've heard that <laughs> it causes before. yeah it causes people to stop and pause wait what yeah <laughs> they they yeah. yeah and it's funny because I said they thinking that you're singular thinking it as your physical body as a singular and then you took yes. it internally and we're like well I'm not I am maybe singular as a physical being but like my spiritual essence is so much more and you're your musician and you're all these teacher and you're all these other things that create you which makes you a they so how did you how did you decide that? I, I know oftentimes the kind of the non-binary position is I don't my I don't know this so I'm gonna, so I guess I, maybe you can help clarify this. But my understanding and talking with friends in the past about this is it's often are primarily used within uh, sort of the gay lesbian community of someone who. Or, or even a transgender community of someone who is like, well, I identify, I may be biologically female, but I identify as male or vice versa. Or, you know, I'm, I am homosexual and therefore, but I'm, or, or maybe not homosexual, but I'm, I'm um, what's the word? I'm bi. So therefore I like both men and women. So I don't want to choose to be one or the other myself. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. One, I do want to make talk. I, want to elaborate and then I want to make a note to come back to the whole bisexual thing because it's sure, interesting sure. within non-binary. Okay. Um, one, it's so, 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 so nuanced and each person has their own relationship, their own unique expression. You could be in a heterosexual relationship and present as, and you're not, you know, present as just uh, cisgendered and consider yourself to be non-binary. You could be, you could have a deep soul connection to being androgynous you or not. Um, you could be a part of the LGBTQ plus community or not. Technically non-binary is under the umbrella of transgender because transgender is like at the very core, based off of what I've understood is at the very core, just not cisgendered. 
but it is very well known that transgender is often that you choose to be the opposite gender. There are also transgendered people who have had, you know, different changes to their body and they still consider themselves to be non-binary instead of identifying as trans. It's very, very like different for each person. And so I have a relationship to it that's built off of a certain understanding, but there's so much knowledge out there that could, you know, say that the way I think about it is not correct or just because I I may say some things that someone hears and they're like, actually, that's not the way that it is. But based off of what I've looked at, I've interpreted that information to mean something to me. And so it's like so, so gray. (laughs) And I'm over, I'm, I'm somewhere in that gray. Yeah. Yeah. But there's going to be so many non-binary people who have a completely different reason and completely different experience um but i can speak for myself and that is that i just grew up in general being misgendered very much a tomboy enjoyed being a tomboy and there's a lot of depth to my relationship with coming into being non-binary. And for the longest time, I actually was pretty afraid of it. And it was a huge vulnerable process to come into it. And I happened to be in a relationship that didn't end up working. And I, and I felt like aspects of it weren't working because I was not quote unquote feminine enough. Mm. And I went through this whole process of really trying to be what I thought a typical woman was and coming, you know, in my early 20s and really just trying to like be a normal, beautiful, traditional woman in some kind of way and started to really lose a connection with myself and was just contorting to be what I thought I was supposed to be and being able to step outside of that relationship I was then given a lot of space to not feel an external pressure and I started to explore things a little bit more and I had been exploring androgynousness but I really got a lot of permission to to set aside those social constructs and started to feel it was I I see it as like this warm jacuzzi where I like (laughs) dipped a toe and I was like oh that's actually really nice I dipped a foot and I'm like oh wow this is so good and then I was just like (laughs) in it submerged all of a sudden and it felt so good and so relieving and I felt like I realized how much I had compartmentalized it my personality as like oh well when I'm feminine I act this way and and I was depriving myself of even certain expressive characteristics and then when I let all that go and just and kind of explored the idea of gender fluidity where in one moment I may be expressing more feminine qualities and in one moment I may be expressing more masculine qualities in one moment I may be dressing more feminine another moment more masculine the more I just allowed myself to kind of float wherever the moment was where whatever I felt whatever felt compelling I began to just feel more permission to exist as myself and there's just something so amazing to that type of liberation it felt like I didn't realize how much I was contorting I was like in this box and it's hard to breathe and I was like I'm in the box though I'm doing so good and then I started (laughs) to like breathe and stretch and dance and like express and I was no longer in that box and and you know I also 
coming into it was very shy barely told a few people and like I it was during the pandemic that I really really started like at the start of the pandemic that I really really started to come into it and I also started dating my partner Dia and she was just so ridiculously affirming and was the first person who was like I'll I'll use they them pronouns like let's try that out and Mm. And for me, I was just like, no, no, no. I was like, totally fine. Like, no worries, not at all. And she's like, no, let's try it. And it felt so good. And like, for the first time I was being embraced for me, like for my full self. And as an artist, you know, it's sometimes people really like you because of your music. And so it's hard to tell how much someone truly likes you because it's so easy to like all the shiny things that you are and do. And so it felt like for the first time I was really seen in my gender expression and embraced and encouraged. And, and that's my journey for me. I, you know, currently I prefer they, them because it feels really, because I feel not a, a traditional woman. However, I love having a female body. Um, I love, love, love being androgynous with a female body. Um, (laughs) There's like something so ridiculously beautiful about it. And I, you know, I do teach and my students do call me miss. And I do accept people using she also because like this is who I am I don't debate people about the fact that I enjoy you know toast in the morning I just eat toast every morning sure, um, sure. and so it's not a political thing where for some people it is very much a political thing it yeah. is like an f you to society I'm non-binary because I don't like social constructs and then right. there are some people that are like I don't really have space to debate every person about this. This is just who I am. You can call me she if if that's what you want to do. I feel in myself as they, as a non-binary person, as a gender fluid person. And just even being able to decide that for myself feels is just like ridiculously liberating. I do have some people that can get upset that I don't advocate for my pronouns or that I'm like not constantly talking about it but it is a vulnerable thing for me sure and it is you know there are sometimes I don't necessarily feel like all that safe I think that's another reason I like living in Denver and in Boulder is that I feel really safe as a queer person and a non-binary person and there are a lot of cities where I like don't feel that way or you know Mm -hmm. places that I've been where I do feel I'm I'm a tiny person as well I'm small (laughs) and so it is a journey and and coming back to the bisexual thing it it's also been a process so bisexual the way that I've understood it is either you like men or women and so if you're non-binary you're not included in that and so for the longest time I identified as bisexual And then my partner was like, well, my partner does, they are on the non-binary spectrum, but they are primarily identify as she and her. However, like they do, they do go by they. And she just kind of walked me through the process of like, you call yourself bisexual, but you are with me and you enjoy non-binary people. And I was like, oh. So then I must be probably pansexual. So it's 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 been this thing even for me of like deconstructing because I guess all that's to say that bisexual is somewhat non-binary exclusive, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's all nuance. It's so nuanced. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that this is an arts podcast, so we're getting way into the weeds here with it. But with bisexual... My- like, have you, have you ever dated guys or have you always yes. been attracted to women? So to me, that would be like, well, I like, in a sexual way, I like both men and women. That would be my idea of someone who's bisexual. 
where if you're yeah. like, you know, so, and, and I guess to wrap all this into the arts sort of uh, nature of our podcast is how has all of this informed your music and informed your art? Yeah. And, and just as a bookend to that, there's like two different lenses so there's like bisexual if you're looking at like a biological sex or bisexual if you're looking at gender okay yeah yeah yeah. and so I think that you know and again one person could be over here and one person could be over here it's it's very nuanced and actually Dia is my first female partner okay so I've I've not had too many partners but they've mostly been men um and how does it play in my music well you know (laughs) I have a song that has yet to come out uh, called Beautiful, and it's about this just process of feeling really not beautiful through, I think contorting is like a really good word because it's just like, ah, I'm fitting in this box. And it's about recognizing how much I was trying to be this beautiful woman and how much I wanted it so bad I just wanted to be beautiful and accepted and like how much how much that was like actually pulling me away and like the more that I wanted to be beautiful the more that I began feeling ugly and and seeing myself as ugly and so I have a song like that but then there is a you know, I, I think in general, I've discovered the internet, the band, the internet. <laughs> I discovered the internet <laughs> in early 2020. And it was the, like Tegan and Sarah, it uh, said the lead singer is a female who talks about relationships with other females. And I felt so held by that <laughs> to huh. just like have representation in music and I loved the music, the instrumentals, and the, the lyrics, and the the vibe. It's like neo R and B music, and I was inspired from their music to create my most recent album, A Moment in Time. And I don't talk necessarily too much about gender expression, but it is it is very much a, a process of like allowing myself to I guess witness in with the band the internet how amazing it was to have that representation and then to put that in my music and and to be honest I like I said I'm not really that political in general with my gender it's like I guess other artists do talk like there are songs about being a man and there are songs about being a woman. I don't know that I that it really comes up for me because it just is for me. It's like I don't really talk about you know how much I enjoy sleeping because I just do. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's go all the way back to what is it? Uh The Kinks and Lola. Do you know that song? Lola yeah i mean that was one of the very first songs that about uh men women you know confusion or whatever and it's so funny like as we progress through history as human beings these things how they how they come up over and over again in our conversations in our lives and you talked about how you don't necessarily sing about these things or your songs aren't necessarily about this i like how you just put you're like I don't really sing about sleeping because I just sleep, but some people do. Some people will, you know, write a song about lazy afternoon nap or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's, totally. it's all, it's all just all part of the, all part of the magic of art. Yeah. Uh, you know, and anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm a primarily plant-based eater. I've been uh, that way for five years. I haven't eaten meat for five years and, but I'm not hardcore. Like I, I, I guess the best way for me to relate to what you're just talking about was like veganism and the vegan police. I'm totally not a vegan police. Like if you, I grew up eating meat until I was, you know, for most of my life until the last five years. And so if you choose to eat meat, cool. And if, and, but don't, if I'm like, I have a leather belt because I had that leather belt before I decided to stop eating meat. And I'm not, and I've had people and I know Boulder is a weird town and I love Boulder, but I've had people in Boulder, like, 
I would never wear leather because I'm, I no longer eat meat. And I'm like, well, did, so did you just throw all your shit away because <laughs> you just, you one day decided you were done with it. And now you just, that poor dead cow who gave its life, who you had that leather belt or that jacket. Now you just threw it in the ground instead of utilizing it. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah. never, I'm never like hardcore one way or the other. And I, like you said earlier, there's nuances to everything. And I think, yeah. I think for, I guess to sort of wrap up that part of it is it's all, you said it, it's all about nuance and there's so many yeah. layers to it. And it's about acceptance, acceptance of each other. And more importantly, perhaps is acceptance of ourselves. And so yeah. it sounds like you're finding that. Totally. And I think, you know, I may not write songs about being non-binary, but I'm a non-binary artist and they're, that's impactful you know, mm, for yeah. students and people to see me just existing in 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 an embrace of myself, right? Is is what my message is. You know that it's like yeah. you, and I don't think that every I, personally, I don't think it's necessary for every single non-binary artist to have being non-binary the focus of their art. I think it's just that they should be able to be a non-binary artist. And, sure, sure, sure. Um, and so I, I very much, and I, you know, in general, a person being themselves is compelling. And as an artist, we are so visible and there is influence there. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, I hope that at the end of the day, people enjoy and feel empowered through me embracing myself. Well, speaking of empowering others, that's a great segue. <laughs> great lead in right there. <laughs> yeah, I found you through an email that I got from TEDx Mile High. Uh, their, yeah. their, um, their program this year is called Rethink. It occurs end of October, middle of October. When's the date? October 23rd. And you came up as one of the presenters, one of the speakers at TEDx. Would you talk about that? How did that come about? And yeah, anything that you can share? Yeah. So, so, so excited to be a part of that and so affirming to my work because they reached out to me about a project that my record label is doing that we started out of the pandemic and they wanted to create an experience, uh, which is so, to me, exciting. I don't actually know how much I'm able to talk about it. Sure, of uh, course, yeah. Yeah, but... I am very stoked that beyond them just saying, hey, will you speak? Which is dope. I love, you know, we're here right now. I love speaking about what I do. <laughs> but they were like, hey, will you put on something that that represents more than yourself? Yeah. And includes more people than yourself. And they're like asking me to do what I do. Like, you want me to uplift other people while I'm uplifting myself. That's what I do. <laughs> so I will be partnering with a few other artists on this experience. Okay. Um, and I think most of them are announced. So Edwina Mabin, Fee Sullivan, and then I think they're going to announce pretty soon, Caitlin Williams. And yeah, I... You know, like I said, just so affirming to have people reach out to you and be like, hey, we like what you're doing. We want to uplift it and give you a platform to speak about it. That's and awesome. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm grateful. So just again, to let people know, this is uh, going to be in, an actual in-person event, not not a Zoom call or anything like that. This is in-person TEDx, uh, correct? Yeah, so if all goes well, it's going to be in person at the Buell Theater and the Performing Arts Complex, downtown mm -hmm. Denver, October oh, that's awesome. 23rd. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, I'm excited to, to, to have you do that. Unfortunately, I won't be there since I'm on the other part of the world right now. But anybody who's in Denver, and I'm sure most people listening to this are familiar with TED, TEDs are phenomenal. And so the fact that, that you're going to be part of it, I think that's really great. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah the, the woman, we did a, a meeting with all of the artists 
and they started out with the statement of, you know, a lot of people's careers just really take off after they do a, t- a TED talk. So welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Speaking of art, let's get a little deeper if we can. I want to ask you some deeper questions on art um, yeah. and specifically music. So one question that I like to ask artists is why should we care about art? I have done a lot of thinking around this. I believe that art inspires. And I, if you think about, I play Dungeons and Dragons. I do role-playing games. If you think about the bard, they're usually a performer, oftentimes a musician, and they perform and they boost up they they have the what is called inspiration so they can give inspiration to other party members to add bonuses to their health or to their attacks which is what they do they play music they inspire their party and that helps them i see that in real life that art inspires it creates this fire that allows people to continue cultivating their inner fire. And I believe that inspiration is fuel for people feeling passionate about being alive. And so I very much believe that artists are stoking people in a way that compels them to continue living in this life wow yes art inspires that's huge i mean it's it's small but huge and i just gotta say this uh not many people know this about me but i was back in my younger days i was a DD nerd for sure i had i was an original DD nerd like i had the original um monster manual and and the very the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide like the originals and um, I've not played, like, I know it's changed so much. And back in the day, we used to have graph paper and we'd draw out the, the map on graph paper and all that kind of stuff. So it was, I know it's changed quite a bit, but I knew there's something I liked about you, Mona, not just as yeah. a <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. As a teacher, you're a teacher in the arts, you're a teacher in music. What's one place, piece of advice that you'd give to someone who's, who's starting out as an artist? Yeah. Hmm. I would say dive into the personal work that comes with it, specifically around your own worth. I I even see this within dance. There's, it's a very joyous journey and there are so many other people on the journey and things come up around insecurities and self-worth and am I good enough? Um, Am I capable enough? comes around around frustration. Do I have the capacity to learn things? Am I likable? Will people want to play music with me? Or on the they're on a different spec- side of the spectrum, like, I'm so awesome. Like all of you guys just want to be my friend. There's like a more like pompous side of things or mm-hmm. and there's so much work that a human can do by diving into themselves and their process around how they show up in that insecurity in their like I guess overinflated ego in uh their like battle with self-worth for me I, I feel if being an artist can be more than just making art and it can actually make you a better human I, I find that to be one of the most valuable aspects of diving really into anything. That's, I guess, what I have for today. It changes <laughs> all the time. Sure. So, no, that's, that's powerful. That, that if, it, if it makes you uh, a better human, I think I love that. It's so good. It's so good. I, I was looking briefly just to, to get people so they can find out about you. And I wanted to make sure going online and Googling, you know, Mona's, Mona's a, a beautiful name but it's not an original name, but I found that if, uh, if you type in Mona Licious, boom, it's all about you. You come up, you, you have, you own, you own Google with Mona Licious yes. from, from articles about you and YouTube, uh, YouTube videos, your Facebook page, your, uh, Instagram, 
how do you mostly communicate with your, let's call it your fan base these days? Like what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. Instagram uh, at Monalicious Media is a great way to get a hold of me on social media. As far as the work with free music for free people, because we actually just launched a magazine, the Denver Underground, and that's such a lovely, wonderful project. And other things like our music that we release as well. Uh, if you go to FM, the number four, FP.com, our newsletter is a great way to get updates on stuff. We only update people when there is stuff. So okay. uh, that is definitely something. So I would say the FM4FP newsletter and then my Instagram or the free music for free people Instagram as well. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. As we, as we wrap up, uh, like I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate your time. I'm, uh, I love the fact that uh, we were able to kind of veer off from art and then bring it back around and in how, you know, talking about gender roles and things like that influence because we live in the world we live today. These things are, I think, really important discussions to have regardless of what realm or what wrapper it's put in, in this case, wrapped in art. And so I appreciate you being open and talking about that and being willing to discuss your, where you stand on it. And I loved how you, you, I think that you said it best about like the nuance and like, it's a large gray area. And this is where you are in this area right now in your life. And that may change and that you're not so firm on your own position that you're going to, like you said, I don't, I'm not going to say it right, but you like basically debate somebody else on it. Like this is, this is where I'm accept, accept me as I am or not. And I love that. I think that's so great. And I think for many artists, that is also a challenge too, to be, to find that acceptance in their art and in who they are as a person, regardless of what that is. So like I said, I appreciate you being candid about that and, and being open about that. Last, last question I have, what are you working on today that gets you out of bed, gets you excited in the morning? Or what do you, what do you have coming up that gets you excited? Yeah, technically I'm working on two albums, but those are somewhat on the back burner because I've been so, so, so devoted to my dance and movement practice. That's really what's been a huge focus of my life. And, and like I said at the beginning, it's been this whole process of like, you're Mona the musician, you can't not just make music. And it's been this whole, <laughs> like I said, this deep work of like, I can be more than that. Because as you can, as you know, I've been pursuing music since I was 13 years old yeah. um, and I'm 26 now. And so it's, it's, I've been doing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> my career is built around it. So I, I dance, I train and 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 dance with people two to three times a week and i also have gotten into a practice called uh, a practice a movement practice developed by ido portal and it's similar it's like got a fusion of like acrobatics and capoeira and a lot of mobility work and i've just been really enjoying I guess, developing a deeper connection with my body and mm. expressing rhythm and music through my body. And that's, that's what's been super compelling to me these days. That's awesome. You're a true artist. Yeah. <laughs> not just, not just a musician, but a dancer yeah. and yeah, you're involved in all. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, and uh, I mean, uh, I'm also doing a bunch of music projects. So free music for free people. We're doing like, we just released a, our first edition of the magazine. We're doing another edition. We have the TEDx thing. We have music coming out on the label. Uh, there's like still the train is moving forward. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. The, cre the creative train is moving forward in all on all cylinders. Yeah. 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 That's totally cool. Well, again, thank you for being on the episode on the podcast. Uh, I, I love talking with you uh, about your art and about your career. Is there any last words that you have for the for the art unknown audience that you'd like to share? Any bits of wisdom? Yeah. I would say find whatever stokes your inner fire and pursue it. That's beautiful. We'll leave it right there. That's awesome. Thank you, Mona Licious, for being on the podcast again. You is bad as us.
for this episode of the podcast is of course Monalicious. It is the single All Caught Up and you can find it all over the interwebs. Just search for Monalicious All Caught Up on Amazon Music, Apple Music, Pandora, Spotify, even Shazam. That's right. And check out the video at YouTube, Monalicious All Caught Up. Now that this episode is over, head on over to the Art Unknown store at artunknownstore.com where you will find some amazing art-infused clothing from Art Unknown podcast artists. Once again, that's artunknownstore.com. And special bonus, get 10% off any purchase just by using the discount code AUPODCAST10 when you check out. That's AUPODCAST10 at artunknownstore.com. Thanks again for listening to the Art Unknown podcast. My name is Jim Wills. I am your host and producer. Now go out there. Have a great day. Check out artunknownstore.com. And of course, take care of one another. And remember to always feed your soul with art. I want to be so.